Love the nouns, love the pronouns, impersonal and personal. Love the words from ELFM. So, good afternoon. You're listening to Love the Words here on East Leeds FM at Chapel FM Arts Centre, and we're in Studio One. This is actually number 199, Love the Words, uh, and next week, of course, will be number 200, and we have a pantomime for you. Pantomime on the radio. How about that? So that's produced and uh, f- presented for us by Elder East Leeds Dramatic Arts. So this week, it's, it's fantastic to have back in the studio uh, a, the storyteller, Vicky Orton. Hello. Nice to be back. You are still, I always think of you as our resident storyteller. Thank you. Yes, I, I like to think of myself as your resident storyteller too, so that's good. <laughs> well, as long as you're still up for that, because, I mean, you've been coming here for years. Yeah, and, I love uh, it. And, oh, that's nice to hear. You, and, and, in fact, probably in the old days at Boggart Hill. Yes, I did, yes, up above the shops. Yeah. I remember it fondly, yes. Well, that must be, that's probably ten years. So, uh, yeah, no, it's great to have you back. And it's been a while. I think it's probably been three years since you've been on i think it has because i remember recording some some stories during lockdown that you played for me but now i've not told a story um certainly not a live story since lockdown yeah well as i say it's really nice to have you returned safely to thank you to chapel fm art center so um we're going to hear a couple of stories from you today Vicky um, is there a particular theme to them or the- a theme to the first one well the first one um, ties in quite nicely with the theme of home so I was the writers on air festival the theme was home um, and for any of you that haven't listened or want to listen again I'm sure you can get it on catch up on the website um, and also I believe that you're going to be celebrating the theme home next year as part of Leeds 2023 City of Culture. And so um, this is a, yeah, this is a story with the main theme is home um, and dreams. And I think at this time of year, you know, we often do a bit of bit of dreaming. So, um, mm. yes, and uh, and it's a true story. Oh, that's interesting. I, so, so I was saying to Vicky before we began, I always, I always really enjoy it here when you're telling a story live because it means I can just sort of I go into a bit of uh, the, what they call I think the hypnagogic trance where you are being told a story and you you know and it's quite an interesting state to be in you're just taken in and I think it only happens with a live telling I don't think it happens with a reading or if on an audio book no no I think you're right and to be honest sometimes when I'm telling the story I also go into that trance I don't know if that's good or bad but uh, no it, it's it's good that's what I like and certainly if I'm telling in front of a live audience and I see people closing their eyes I never mind because I know for some people that heightens their listening and equally if they're falling asleep well bear in mind that's not a bad thing either <laughs> so <laughs> um but yes now this story is a true story and I know all storytellers and and probably me as much as anybody say it's a true story but this is genuinely a true story um, 
and at the end of the story, I will give you a bit more of the history behind it. So, um, yeah. So, um, whilst it's a true story, it has actually gone down um, an English folklore, and some people may well know this story as the peddler of Swaffham. But the way that I heard the story was way, way back when um, London Bridge was a firm, proud stone bridge with its back arching over the River Thames and its sides were clustered tight with houses and shops and businesses, some of them clinging on only just by a nail probably, just waiting to dive into the murky waters below. But like I said, this is the story of John. John Chapman, and John was a Chapman, which um, is another word for a peddler, and somebody who in the older days would go around basically selling things door to door, I guess. Um, And John lived in the village of Swaffham in the county of Norfolk, and he was married to Catherine, and he had three children. And like I say, he was a peddler, and every day he would hawk his back, pack onto his back, come rain, shine, sleet, snow, and off he would trudge with his faithful dog Baxter at his heels, traipsing through the mud and then the dust throughout the seasons along the highways and byways of Norfolk. Um, sometimes he was really lucky and he might sell a whole bolt of cotton or a couple of ills of silk Sometimes he wasn't quite so lucky and he might only sell a length of ribbon or a couple of pins. It was a very precarious life. But on the whole, he was quite content. I mean, they certainly weren't rich because, well, obviously, if he was rich, John would have a donkey to be carrying his pack rather than carrying it himself. Um, Or if he was very rich, he might even have had his own shop or business. But he wasn't, um, you know... He was quite content. Well, I say he was quite content. He he was troubled. He was troubled by by dreams. But if I'm honest, it wasn't dreams. It was a dream. Night after night, he would have the same dream. And he'd lie in bed, tossing and turning. And then he'd wake up. And he'd try and get the dream out of his head. But no sooner had he fallen to sleep again than the same dream returned. And it haunted his waking hours as well as his sleeping hours. Until one night, he had the same dream, not once, not twice, but three times in a row. And he sat up and he turned to his wife, Catherine. That's it. I'm going. What do you talk about? That dream, you know that dream that I told you about? Well, I've had enough, I can't take it anymore, I'm going. My dream is, it's dark outside, what are you going on about? The dream, I told you, for heaven's sake, I've told you so many times, the dream that if I go to London Bridge and I stand on London Bridge, I will hear something to my good fortune. Oh, I'll just have ten minutes more sleep. 
Are you listening to me, Catherine? I'm going. <sighs> All right, I'll get up then. And so John went downstairs and he got himself a bit of bread, a bit of cheese. He took the few coins that they'd put away and he whistled for Baxter and he kissed the children goodbye and he kissed Catherine goodbye and said, next time you see me, I'm going to be a rich man. Oh, hang on a minute, hang on a minute, said Catherine. Oh, you better take your hood with you. Don't know what the weather's going to be like down there. Might be a bit nippy. All right, then. And off he went. And then Catherine turned round and she said, he's taken the last of the bread and the cheese. Do you know, boom, and off he goes, off on a jolly down there, fancy some stupid dream but anyway enough about the family John went on now the thing is the dis the distance to London from Swaffham is over a hundred miles and even now with the good roads it's still about 104 miles and this was before we had decent roads and John was a good walker and so was Baxter luckily and without his pack he was quite a fast walker but Nonetheless, it took him five days to walk to London. And the further away from Norfolk he got, the more he noticed the changes in the landscape. There'd be gently undulating hills and then it would suddenly flatten out again. And then the people, well, the people, they spoke different and they used words that he hadn't come across before. It was all, all like a... A huge adventure is going into another land. But then the closer he got to London, the busier and busier it got. And when he found himself in London, well, if he'd thought that the other lands were like a different country, well, London may as well have been a completely different planet to him. People just shoved past him and... They all seemed in such a hurry to go somewhere. And you notice nobody said hello to him like they do at home. And then he didn't see a single smiling face. And, and Arnie trudged with Baxter close to his heels until he stopped. And he looked around him and he thought, I haven't a clue where I am. I am completely lost and you tried to, to grab hold of somebody. Excuse me, can, can you, can you? And they would just push past him or so say, Oi, out the way, you're blocking the road. And, and he just stood there until in the distance he saw another peddler. And he went up to the peddler and he said, Oh, excuse me, mate, you, you couldn't tell me the way to London Bridge, could you? And the peddler looked him up and down and recognised him as one of his own. And he said... Well, I can do, but I tell you what, you're not going to have any luck setting up a pitch there. It is chock a block, but good luck to you, pal. And he gave him directions and John found himself on London Bridge. And nothing had prepared him for the sight or the smell. He could see ships on the murky river. These ships were enormous. They've got sails bigger even than Ely Cathedral. It was, they were huge. They were like floating islands that were bigger than the ships he'd ever seen at King's Lynn. And then there were traders, there were traders from all over the world 
setting out their wares. Some had got beautiful baubles of glistening coloured glass and silver and gold and others had got fruit the likes he'd never seen before and some smelt so sweet and aromatic he just always mouth watered and and the spices and some had a slightly a slightly bitter smell it was it just stood there staring all around him until we like, but get out the road you're blocking the path shift and then he started, now I wonder which one of these people here is going to be the one to tell me what I need to know. He saw a woman, oh, she was dressed in the finest clothes, long travelling cloak made of the thickest wool. She obviously weren't short on a bob or two. And a horse beside her as she got ready to set out on pilgrimage. Maybe she's the one. Maybe she can tell me something. But then he saw a young lad in a sailor's uniform. Thought, oh, well, he looks like he knows a thing or two. Maybe it's him. But neither of them came up to speak to him. Well, maybe I need to rethink this. Maybe it's them urchins scurrying about underneath the barrows. Maybe they know something that they could share with me. But none of them came close to him. Well, only to see if there was anything in his pockets, of which there was not real taking. Well, perhaps it's one of these traders. I mean, these look like people of the world. They will have seen an awful lot. Oh, I bet they've got tales to tell. Maybe it's one of them. And he kind of lingered near each of them's stalls until he was shooed away. If you're not going to buy anything, get on. I want them. And he leant against the wall and just watched the comings and goings and the sun started to set and nobody came to speak to him. And then it became dark and the traders had packed up and gone away. The barrow sellers, they'd all packed up and gone home. The urchins scavenging about for any apples that had been dropped or anything. Oh, well, maybe tomorrow. Tomorrow's another day. And so John snuggled up in the doorway with Baxter, snuggling in close to his side, and they hugged each other for warmth. And they kind of slept through the night as much as you can do in that situation. Until he was rudely awakened in the morning by a broom shoving him out of the way. Oi, you, get out! You're putting off the customers. What do you think you're doing? You good-for-nothing, lazy layabout. And so John shuffled up with Baxter close to him. And he stood underneath a house and and he learnt a new word that he'd never heard before. The phrase, Gardelu! And before he knew it, the woman opened the window and she tipped her chamber pot out right over John's head. Oh, oh, God. He stank something awful. I mean, if people thought he'd smelt bad before, well, <laughs> nobody was going to be bashing into him at the moment the way that he smelt. He carved quite a good space around himself. And then the rain came 
and it poured and it poured. And whilst most people hurried into the shops or houses for shelter, well... (laughs) John was quite pleased with the rain because he just let it wash away all of the stench from him. And then the rain stopped. The sun didn't really come out. It was just kind of one of those mizzy days. But he stood there trying not to shiver too much and just looking about. Do you think it's going to be them? What do you reckon, Baxter? Do you think it could be her? Or him? Mind you, look at him. Oh, he's a man of the cloth. He might have some news for me. But no, everybody walked past. Nobody even smiled at him. Nobody certainly made eye contact with him. And he sat and he waited. And the peddler had given him directions before walked past, said, told you, mate, you wouldn't get a pitch here. Bad luck if I was you. I'd move on. Tell you what, there's a whole row of mo- mo- of markets. If you go down what they call Petticoat Lane, get yourself a stall there, lad. You'll be fine. Better off than this spot here. They never part with the money along here. Tight lot they are. And then he went on his way and John stood there shivering and the light started to fade and his stomach started to rumble. And one of the barrow men noticed him and said, you were here yesterday, weren't you? You look a bit hungry. I tell you what, you can have this apple. I'm never going to sell it. It's a bit past its best. And normally, well, John had got an orchard full of apples at home. He normally just left that for the pigs or the birds. But no, he was so hungry and he bit into it. And mm, it was sweet and juicy. It was a bit mould with a few black bits in but he was so hungry it filled a gap it wasn't as nice as the apples at home but better than nothing and so as night fell he curled up in the shop doorway and he managed to get some sleep and Baxter kept him safe growling at anybody that came too close until he was woken up in the morning not by Gardelou, but by a bucket of icy cold water being chucked over him. You again, I told you yesterday, you're putting off the customers. What are you doing here? And John was just about to shuffle on and the shock said, hang on a minute, I've been watching you. Two days you've been here. You don't look like you're selling anything. No, Sir John, no, no, I've not come here to sell anything. She said, um... Are you begging? And John said, no, 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 no. Not as long as the good Lord provides for me. No, I'm, I'm not begging. Are you after alms? No, no, I'm, I'm not after alms. No, nothing like that. Well, what are you doing here then? He said, well, I had a dream. I had a dream that if I came to London and stood on London Bridge, I'd hear something to my advantage. And the shopkeeper, she burst out laughing. She said, you've what? You daft so-and-so. I've never heard the like in my life. You came all the way here <laughs> because you had a dream. Yeah, said John. <laughs> do you know what? Oh, I have dreams all the time, but I do have one dream that comes to me. It's like, well, I had a dream that came to me. She said, yeah, this dream, I'll tell you what. It's just, oh, it's ridiculous. I have this dream that uh, 
that I live in this tumble down house and I and I've got an apple orchard out the back and it's this place. I don't even know if it's a real place. Swaff, swaffum, something like that. I'm a clue where it is. I tell you what, look, you know, if you want to hear silly, in this dream, there's an orchard and one of the apple trees, there's one where a woodpecker it always pecks holes in it. And I tell you what, this is the funniest bit. I tell you what, if you dig under this apple tree, you find a pot of gold. Now, look at me. I'm here. I'm doing business here. Do you really think I'm daft enough to go traipsing to wherever this swaff, swaffy, swashy place might be? Go on. You'd be better off going home, mate. You're not going to get out here. Well, John tried not to smile too much and he, he tried not to hurry away and it Yeah, yeah, you're right, you're probably right. I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll I'll go back home, I'll call it call it a bad job and um well I tell you what, it might have taken John and Baxter five days to walk to London, but it only took them three to walk back home. And as soon as he got home, he just pushed his way straight through the door didn't bother saying hello, well, you know, or anything like that. And Karen said, oh, oh, it's lovely to see. Oh, we've missed you. And the children ran and they all hugged at his legs. Oh, daddy, daddy, you're back, you're back. Are you rich now? And John said, Catherine, you know that shovel, that good one, the one that your dad gave us? Bring it out here, will you? And what, what are you doing, daddy, what are you doing? And John took the shovel and he knew exactly which tree the woman had meant the one with the woodpecker, and he took the shovel and he started digging. And he dug and he dug and he dug for, God, must have been about three hours and eventually he hit something. And he hit something solid and it wasn't a flint and it wasn't a rock or anything. It wasn't a tree root. No, it was a tin, a metal tin. And so... He parted the earth and he picked it up and it was it was quite heavy. Catherine, kids, come here, come and see what I've got. And they all crowded round and he lifted the lid on the tin and oh, it was full of gold coins. Just enough, not so they'd be rich, but enough to tide them over. And John and Catherine were ecstatic. Well, that'll do us nicely. It doesn't matter if you have a bit of a bad run. That should see us tidy. But then the eldest lad, he looked at the tin and he said, what's that on the tin, Dad? Looks a bit like writing. And John said, well, I don't really know my letters, but it doesn't look like any words I know. I reckon it's a different language. Tell you what, why don't we just polish up the lid and we'll put it in the window and see if anybody can tell us what it said. And so that's what they did. They cleaned up the lid and they put it in the window and it stood there really for months and people got used to seeing it. And, well, a lot of people in those days, they couldn't read, they couldn't write and just thought it was a nice ornament that they got in the window. Until a monk walked past and he looked at the lid and then he knocked on the door and he said, um, what's that sign you've got in your window? What sign, said John, having completely forgotten about the lid. That, that sign, it said, um, under me doth lie another richer still. Mm, I don't know, said John. Mm, 
no idea. Mm. Just just found it. And then as soon as the monk had gone, he was back in the garden and he dug and he dug and he dug. And this time, it wasn't a tin that he found. It was a whole chest. The whole family worked together so they could ease the chest and they could lift it out up into the orchard. And, well, when they lifted the lid on this chest... (laughs) The reflection of the gold was like having the sun shining at them. And his wife, Catherine, said, well, that's a lot of money there. That's more than we need. And John said, yeah, you're probably right, but what should we do with it? His wife said, well, you know how Vicar's always going on about how the North Isles collapsed and he'd like a new roof put on it? I reckon we should give it to the church. And that's what they did. And obviously the church made sure that there was nobody else in the village that was left wanting for anything. Um, And that's the story of the peddler of Swatham. Now, at the start, I told you that this was a true story. And it is a true story. Um, And in fact, if you go to the Church of St Peter's and St Paul's in Swatham, you can see, excuse the rustling here, it doesn't make for good radio, I know, but if you were to go to this church, carved on the pews is a wooden figure of John Chapman with his pack on his back. There is also a carving of his dog, Baxter, with a chain around him, and... There is also a carving of a woman who is believed to be the shopkeeper who spoke to John Chapman, um, although it could be his wife, Catherine, but um, scholars generally believe that it's shopkeeper. could be either, I think. And also, um, the Church of St Peter's and St Paul's is indeed a very fine church, a very large church, um, and it certainly has got a new, well, obviously at the time it would have been a new roof on the North Transit, which stands higher than the um, additional um, extensions to the church. And that story was actually, the earliest recording of it is in 29th of January, 1652, by Sir William Dugdale. Um, Now, being a storyteller, I hate to spoil a good story and I would love to believe that that is the truth behind that story however other people more cynical than me have said um, it could actually be a cover for the fact that um, John may have done uh, slightly dodgy deals and earned a lot of money and to pay his penance he gave his wealth to the church uh, to atone for his sins but I don't like that version. I don't 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 want to think about that version. Um, but then the other interesting thing about this story, and like I said, this story, there is definitely some truth in it because um, if you were to Google the Peddler of Swatham or the Church of St Peter and St Paul at Swatham, you will see these carvings. But there is also a version of this story set in North Yorkshire at Upsall Castle. However... Um, And it follows the same pattern that this person goes down to London, comes back rich. But there's no 
carvings or anything to substantiate it. There's another version um, set in air in Scotland where the person comes back and in theory builds um, Dundonald Castle. The Brothers Grimm have a version and there is also a version that appears in um, A Thousand and One Nights, otherwise known as the Tale of the Arabian Nights. So it's very interesting, but I like to believe that he went there and he dug up the gold and it wasn't because he was a bad person. <laughs> oh, Vicky, that's a fantastic story. No, I think let's, let's believe. I love the idea of these dreams. Yeah, yeah it's a fantastic story. Is it, the, uh, do, is it the dreams in all those versions? Yeah, they all have the same dream. Although um, the one in the Arabian Nights, they're told to go to Baghdad, not London Bridge. Hmm. And, um, and I don't know the one, I don't know the Brothers Grimm, story and I don't I can't imagine they went to London Bridge but certainly both the Upsall one in North Yorkshire and the one set in air in Scotland and that's a heck of a walk from air mm. down to London Bridge they all go to London Bridge and they all uncover pots of gold so, Fantastic um, story! What a great story! I never didn't know, didn't know before. I've been to Swaffham though. Next time yeah, I go, yeah, I'll we'll have a look uh, in the church. Have a look in yeah. the church. Brilliant! Um, Thank you, Vicky. Well, we, we're going to be hearing. We've been listening to Vicky Orton tell us a story, which is just lovely to have back in the studio again. Um, but we we're going to give Vicky a break for about five minutes while we hear a different story or a different storyteller, uh, Melissa Weedart Phillips, who sent this story. Only a few days ago, it's lovely to have a contribution from her. Tales from the Other Kingdom Heta by Melissa Weedart Phillips Heta drew her little daughter Helsa close, wrapping her tightly in another shawl. She looked down at the small girl's face and brushed the light blonde curls away, wishing she would open her eyes. Father is returned, Heta's son Anbjorn said, rushing into the small hut. He came over to Hetta's side and looked down at his ill sister, reaching out a hand to her before pausing halfway. You will not disturb her, Hetta told him, guiding his hand to his sister's. At that moment, Tor entered their small home, making sure the blizzard could not follow him inside, as he quickly came to stand by the fire that burned at the centre of the hut. Does anyone have the herb? Hetta asked anxiously, as Tor peered at his daughter. Tor shook his head, looking grave. Anjorn drew closer into Hetta, as the three of them stared at Helsa, who still slept in fever's grip. They settled down to sleep, yet Hetta and Tor could not. Instead, they gazed at each other, in worried silence, as the night grew deeper, the sleeping forms of their children between them to keep warm. Hetta dared not sleep, fearful that the white lady would come in the night to take her daughter to the life beyond. Tor had spent the day searching for a herb to reduce Helsa's fever, but none was to be found in the deep of winter. Hetta closed her eyes for a moment and called inwardly to her old travelling companion Tova, asking her for guidance. A few moments later she felt restless, and much to Tor's surprise, rose from the bed. Stay with them, Hetta whispered in answer to his puzzled look, as she poured layers of protection on against the cold. Outside she found a lull in the raging storm, and a glimmer of moonlight showed in the darkness, as she raised her lantern. She began to wade through the knee-high snow, knowing no one else in the small village 
would dare venture out after dark. She passed all the other huts, moving beyond the village and in the direction of the great lake. The moonlight glimmered on the frozen surface as she drew near, illuminating a shadow at the lake's shore. Hetta paused, meeting the gaze of the great silver wolf. After a moment, she moved forwards, joining the silent creature. She followed the wolf as she began to move, cutting a path through the snow for Hetta to follow. The wolf led her towards trees, which she would usually avoid for fear of wild wolves, but she knew she would be kept safe with Oliver, sent to her by the wandering spirit, Tova. Between the brown trunks, Oliver paused, scratching at the snow, then moved back as Hetta bent down, grasping at the green leaves which had begun to show. She gathered the fever-soothing herb into her pockets, making sure it was safe, before turning to follow Oliver back out into the world of solid white. She let Oliver guide her, not able to recognise anything in the darkness and returning blizzard. Suddenly the great wolf stopped, and Hetta paused, peering around, before spotting a hut not far away. "'I thank you,' she said, inclining her head, and Tova too. Oliver turned, becoming a flash of silver for a moment, in a world of white, before vanishing. Hetta hurried back to her home, where she quickly brewed a tea from the leaves. As morning light began to creep through the village, Helsa opened her eyes and smiled at her family, strength and a rosy glow returning to her cheeks. Hetta sat quietly, watching her loving family, her thoughts gratefully lingering on her old friend. So thank you so much to Melissa for sending us that story melissa Weedup phillips and you can hear her recent contribution to writing on air uh, on the website just go to writing on air 2022 scroll down and you'll find all the programs there all 55 and hers is called rainbow uh, a very moving and inspirational story from melissa so we've got vicky orton in in our studio studio one our resident storyteller and it's Great to have you back, Vicky. Thank you. Lovely to yeah to hear that story about Swaffham, the peddler of Swaffham. And now you've got something to tell us, something to do with Norway. Um, yeah, well, this uh, is Iceland. And I thought as we're getting up to um, that C word time, the Christmas time, um, I have been fascinated by... Um, Scandinavia and Iceland um, and Icelandic and Scandinavian folktales for a long time. But one of the things that I, has particularly interested me that came to my attention a couple of years ago is something called the Yule Lads. Um, and children in Iceland, in about six days' time, they'll be getting rather excited and rather nervous because they don't have Father Christmas in the same way that we do. They have the Yule lads. And the first of the Yule lads arrives on the, 20, on the 12th of December and doesn't leave until the 25th of December. Now, I ought to explain, the Yule lads are trolls. Um, and as a lot of you will know, that uh, Iceland and Scandinavia are very big in troll on trolls. And trolls are not to be underestimated. They might not be very bright, but nobody would mess with trolls. And the Yule lads' mother is called Grela, 
and um, her husband, whose name I have forgotten, um, begins with an L, uh, and Garela also has a cat called the Christmas Cat. Now, originally, the Yulads were quite terrifying creatures. Their mother was even more terrifying. Their mother uh, lives on children. And if you look, there are some very um, disturbing pictures of Grela uh, eating children. And Grela had always been used as a way to um, get your children to behave in the run-up to Christmas. So, you know, something like you might say, oh, well, if you're not good, Father, Christmas is not going to come and see you. And now you've got these rather... Um, unnerving elves that uh, apparently people buy and put on a shelf so the elf can watch and report to Father Christmas if you've been good. Um, yes, it's uh, fortunately, it wasn't around when my daughter was little, but it is a thing. But Garela is even more terrifying because her sons are the Yulad. And Garela was so scary that uh, in 1746, the Icelandic government banned any reference to Grela, including any pictures of her, any of the stories about her, um, and it was forbidden for parents to use Grela as a method of um, parenting their kids. <laughs> so Now, I, I've never heard of this happening anywhere else in the world where, um, and you know, there is no, there's no evidence, not like the other story, where there is evidence that it is a true story. There is no truth you know behind Grela where she came from she is she is literally um a folklore character and her cat um also eats naughty children so Grela will come and round up naughty children put them in a sack and then um and I'm sorry if there are children but basically but there are graphic descriptions of how she boils the children alive parents would tell their children these stories <laughs> If you don't behave, Grela will come and she'll eat you and you'll be boiled alive. And um, her lads, so the Yule lads, the first one arrives on the 12th of December. And just screw, excuse the rustling here because I can never remember the name of them all. So the first one is um, called Sheep Cot Clod. Um, and basically he um, is just going to torment the sheep, which means you're going to get no rest or peace. Um, and presumably because one of the things that um, people in Iceland traditionally eat for a Christmas dinner is smoked lamb. So I guess that's where that comes from, that, you know, it's just a warning to, I suppose, ultimately look out for sheep rustlers. But, yes, yeah, so sheep clod, he uh, arrives on the 12th but doesn't depart until the 25th. Then... Your next one, who comes on the 13th, is a gully gawk. And gully gawk doesn't leave until the 26th of December. So these aren't just, you know, little people that come once that they hang about. And um, he will basically take all the milk from your cow and leave you without any milk. Um, then on the 14th comes Shorty. Now, Shorty stays until the 27th. And... He um, he moves around on stubby legs and he likes to come into the kitchen and he will just keep an eye on all of the contents in the cooking pans. And uh, when nobody's looking, 
he will just steal a pan of juicy meat. Then um, you have got, on the 15th, ladle liquor, and he comes until the 28th of December, and uh, ladle liquor is, as it suggests, ladle liquor. He will lick your ladle, and apparently the um, thing around ladle liquor was to encourage Icelandic children to lick their knives and forks clean, basically. So waste not, want not, I guess, is the message there. Then on the 16th, and he stays until the 29th, is Pot Scraper. Now, Pot Scraper has a habit of licking out all of the burnt-on food, which sounds quite good to me. Sounds like it saves you a bit on washing up. Um, but he also uh, likes to uh, snatch things from the farm girl's hand. So mm, he's obviously not quite uh, as innocent as he looks. And he might also scrape a hole in your best cooking pan. So much does he like to scrape the pots. And then it gets worse. So on the 17th of December, staying until the 30th, you have bowl liquor. And bowl liquor, well, any fussy children who don't eat up all their food, a bowl liquor will go and tell his mum, Grayla. And, of course, Grayla will then come and eat up the naughty children. So, although it's good that he's eating up any leftovers, woe betide any fussy children near Christmas, as they will become another meal. Then comes Door Slammer. And uh, Door Slammer really likes to slam the door in the middle of the night, and he likes to wake up the dogs. He comes on the 18th, and then he uh, doesn't go till the 31st. Then there is Skr Gobbler. I'm not sure how you pronounce it, but I think you can get Skr S K Y R in this country now. It's kind of like a fermented mm. milk. Um, and basically, he likes to come down and he steals um, all the the skir, all the goodies. Oh, yes, true. I've seen it in the supermarket. Yeah. Um, um, then on the 20th, this is one that always makes me chuckle, is Sausage Swiper. And Sausage <laughs> Swiper stays until the 2nd of January. And uh, he will obviously steal your sausages. Then, uh, now, the 21st, Window Peeper. Window Peeper stays until the 3rd of January. And, well, Window Peeper will look through the window to see how children are behaving and there's a very mm. gruesome story about a young lad who was playing with his toys and uh, window peeper was looking through the window and he wasn't toy snatcher he was window peeper and um, <clears throat> this young lad needn't have worried about his toys because window peeper saw him being very mean to his little sister he then told his mother Grela. Grela came down in the night with her sack picked up the young boy, put him in the sack with all the other naughty children who were scrabbling and desperately trying to get out of the sack before they found themselves in Gorilla's kitchen. And, well, we all know what happens well, to... She boils up her own children. No, no, the window um, peeper had told Grayla uh, about the naughty... So, right, so, yeah, so he doesn't do the dirty work. He just no. tells the tales, basically. She boils up other people's good... Yeah, and then door sniffer. Um, and I, I, I'd love to know that how door sniffer came about. He doesn't come till the 22nd, but he stays until the 4th. And uh, 
he likes to just stick his nose into every kind of door jam, seeing if he can find the smell of food, and he will follow his nose, basically, again, to steal all your food. 23rd Meat Hook arrives, uh, and he stays till the 5th of January, and I'm guessing Meat Hook ties in with the um, the love of the smoked lamb because he is a fancier of smoked mutton and he'll sit in the chimney until darkness comes and then he'll come down the chimney. Unlike Father Christmas, he's not coming down the chimney to give you a present, he's coming down the chimney to steal your meat. Then Candle Beggar comes on Christmas Eve and he stays until the 6th. And really, I mean, this must be quite terrifying in the times pre-electricity because Candlebegger loved candlelight, but he particularly liked to steal candlelight from children and plunge them into the darkness. Um, but now um, they, they've kind of been sanitised and they kind of are now described more like uh, Little Father Christmases. So in Iceland, children will put their shoe on the window, mm. um, whereas in the old days, obviously, if they didn't behave, they'd be taken off and mm. boiled alive. <laughs> now, if they don't behave, they have a rotten potato put in their shoe. Uh, but, a bit tame. A bit tame, a bit like oh, a piece of coal, you know. I think there's a lot of people quite glad a piece of coal to put on the fire at the moment. Mm. But, yeah, and then they um, get sweets put in their shoe. So... That's a whistle-stop tour. I should prepare a whole programme on the Yule lads, I've really. I've never, ever heard of the Yule boys. How do you spell that, Yule? Yeah, that's Y-U-L-E. As in uh, Yule, like a Yule log. Yes, Yule. that's right, Yule. yeah, Yule. Um, and, I, and there are uh, statues to Grela uh, all over Iceland and um, mm. the cat as well and I, I did read a rather sinister poem about the cat crawling out of the woods and with its sharp claws and teeth but I think I'm probably better off saving that for another another programme because I say I could it's just a, a whistle stop introduction well, that's to Grela. Never um, heard of Grela or the Yule Boys but I'm, I will definitely uh keep an eye out for them as yeah and I'm, in fact this christmas if i see someone looking through the, the window or sniffing the door yeah yes or, or because... sniffing sniffing the sausages yes you I know, know where, they, who they are. Yes. Where, do, where do they actually live uh, uh -huh. now they actually live in the mountain range um a famous mountain range rather like the um Dovry fell Dovrefell Mountains in Norway, um, where the trolls live, which inspired a lot of music and folklore, including Greg's, um, uh, what's it called? Hall of, the Hall, of, Hall, Hall of the Mountain King, which is about the trolls. And I have to admit, my favourite version of this song is the Wombles version, <laughs> because I love the bit at the end where they say, get that orchestra off my mountain. <laughs> well, we're going to hear that to finish off the programme. So, Vicky, thanks ever so much uh, for coming in. Thanks for the story about Swaffham. Thanks for introducing us to the Yule Boys. And please come back in the new year. Uh, if you've got any New Year's stories, uh, you know, in January, February, more winter stories come in and tell us. Because, oh, yes. Uh, it's really lovely to have you here to tell oh, stories. Oh, thank you. I shall look forward to that. Yeah. So that's Love the Words for this week. Uh, stay tuned. Uh, for, we've got plenty more, plenty more broadcasting today. And now to finish off, we're going to hear 
the Wombles version of Grieg's Hall of the Mountain King. Love the control, love the command, love the spacebar and the hard return. Love the words from East Leeds FM. Come back away. 